Buffalo, and welcome back to another episode of MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. I'm Jude. How you doing, Trey? I am doing pretty good. I, uh, I'm not going to lie. I was a little nervous for the episode last week because it was the first uh, test drive with the new microphone. And as we're recording this, I have been editing the previous episode and it sounds wonderful. So nice. Hopefully nice. that continues through this episode. I, I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. It's uh, I've heard some samples you sent me and it sounded really good. I'm I'm really excited about it. I don't remember if I told you this, but I was a little worried because... Right before we started recording, I was doing some some audio tests and I was still getting some weird staticky problems that I was having when I was recording off my iPad. And so right before we recorded, it was it almost felt like that scene in Iron Man 1 where he's like, you know what? Sometimes you got to run before you walk. <laughs> <laughs> you know so what? There's, just... so, there's so many things I've done. have done that way. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great mantra to live by sometimes. You know what? If it wasn't for that, I don't know if I would have jumped into the podcasting. So. Hey, well, there you go. What about you? How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Just uh, trying to wrap up. I say that it's, you know, the day of recording is July 16th. And so it's weird, but it's like I'm mentally starting to wrap up July and start thinking about uh, August and the school year. Yeah. it's uh, it... Which, as of this recording, we're going to be online for at least the first three weeks. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad yeah. that that safe option is there for sure. Oh, yeah. But I mean, you know, speaking of uh, as of this recording, another thing that was coming out is uh, we kind of got unofficial confirmation that Falcon and the Winter Soldier is uh, going to be delayed. Yeah, they got what it was removed from the Disney Plus August 2020 slate. I like you said, and we were texting with each other. I'm going to be a little bit uh, optimistic and throw it out there for September. I, I mean, assuming they they get to do the reshoots and the shootings like they like they want. I don't remember where I heard it, but it was something about early fall. Um, and so September kind of, you know, qualifies that for early fall. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I also heard about, I think it was a story in Variety. Some analyst um, out there in L.A. Uh, was talking about the possibility of the theaters not being able to open until sometime 2021, mm-hmm. uh, which would then push Black Widow either further back or at least into straight to Disney+. Plus. It it honestly feels like unless Black Widow gets released on Disney Plus, we're not seeing this movie this year. Just just based off the way things have been going, COVID wise, and and having to open up and then shut down again, I I just don't think we're going to see this movie this year. Yeah, it it really feels that way, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. But you know, whatever happens, uh, we'll be here to adapt and uh, change our plans. Uh, I I think part of the reason. Or one of the reasons we went with Daredevil is because it was um, a way for us to kind of fill in these in-between moments between the MCU proper stuff. So, uh, yeah. So I'm excited, no matter which way it goes. Yeah. Did you, okay, one last thing. Did you see the thing about uh, Chris Evans? I did not. I saw a lot of things, but nothing particularly MCU-related. Okay. Well, it, uh, MCU-related in that there was that story about the little boy who, like, got in front of a dog that was trying to attack his sister. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, we're talking like, like what, a seven-year-old? Mm-hmm. Um, and he sent him a Captain America shield. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. God, I can't imagine, you know, what that kid's feeling like. <laughs> Captain America gave you a shield. No kidding. Well, at least from online persona, you know? Uh-huh. Because clearly I don't know Chris Evans. Right. Man, it, it feels like he's 
that's something Cap would have done. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's been multiple moments where he is like, he is Captain America, especially not to go too far down this road. There, there are some stances that he's taken uh, politically that it just, it fits that persona of, right. you know, Steve Rogers. Oh yeah. Just with the way oh, yeah. that he, he uses his social media for, for activism. But uh, yeah, you know, of course we're 13 episodes in, you know this by now, we are going to be discussing Daredevil. But before we do, I just wanted to take some time to say, if you have not already, you should definitely leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to, uh, because that helps us move up the charts when people are searching for MC related podcasts. And we'd greatly appreciate your feedback. You know, on Instagram and even Twitter, um, we're getting a lot of interaction with uh, some of the stuff that, you know, we post out there. Mm -hmm. And being able to move up those charts will only, I think, increase that interaction with bringing more people in. And and it's fun to have, see the people who do like or see the people who comment and be able to react to those comments. And, you know, more the merrier when discussing the MCU. Yes. You know what I like and low-key hoping for at some point is that our questions of the week can be somewhat guided by questions that people on social media send us, and that'd be fun to discuss. That would be, yeah. So nudge, nudge, wink, wink. If you got any questions of the week, send them to us at Know on social media. Yes. Either one of us or the the podcast site, please please let us know. (laughs) But yes, uh, Daredevil. We are on season one, episode 13, entitled Daredevil. So this is the season finale, and we open up at Ben's funeral. Uh, His casket is being pulled out of a hearse to the grave as a sad song plays. Uh, Father Latham is delivering a eulogy while Matt, Karen, and Doris mourn, among others. I think this is one of the shorter scenes before the opening credits. Um, I didn't time it, but it just felt like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Honestly, the the two notes I had, it, it was a sad song. I was trying to listen to the lyrics and and find something deeper, and I just couldn't mm-hmm. do it. So it, it seemed a little odd to me, the yeah. song. Um, not that it was inappropriate. It just seemed a little odd. But my biggest thing is I wish Fisk would have been there. Really? Yeah. Well, because as, as somebody who, at the moment, as far as the city and people know, he's spending, as, to use Ellison's words, millions of dollars to help the city. I think that would have just added to this the the intensity factor of this last season if he comes and shows up as and he's like to support you know this newspaper person who passed away oh man that would have been so much insult to injury and it's honestly not that much of a stretch because we saw I'll get to this later, but we saw Ellison there and we're at the, we're at the assumption that, you know, he was on payroll. It wouldn't be that much more of a difference to have Fisk there as well. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. Yeah. It wouldn't. And and it would have built the tension. You had Matt there, Karen there, you know, um, Foggy's missing, but we'll talk about that. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, that's, that's the big thing is I wish, I wish they would have had Fisk there. Honestly, uh, I, I didn't get too much notes out of this either. Uh, like you said, it's a, it's a very short one, which I think partly feels short because it is just music over uh, visuals. There's no there's no character dialogue going on. And the thing that I took away from this is that it's hard to say goodbye to Ben's character. Um, for, for much as we've talked about this binging versus week to week thing that we've been doing, I like that this scene works both methods of viewing. You know, if you're doing this in a binging fashion, it resolves itself immediately when you get to this catharsis of the funeral. 
Or if you were doing what we've been doing, which is the week to week, it, it was kind of like a painful reminder to be like, oh, yeah, like that. It, it just made it feel more real. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we do jump to our title sequence from there. And when we return, uh, we are back at the funeral service where the crowd has begun to disperse. Uh, Karen walks over to Doris to introduce herself and express her condolences. She also takes blame for Ben's death, but Doris assures her that Ben never got pushed into anything he didn't want to do. Meanwhile, Father Latham and Matt are having a discussion on their own off to the side. Matt is lamenting that what happened to Ben happened because he hasn't stopped Fisk. I got a question for you. I got two questions. So the first one is... Do you want to talk about the scene first or kind of like a meta scene about the creators? Let's talk about the scene first and then we'll jump okay. into the meta. Okay. So I think Father Latham was right. Like this isn't, Matt feels like it's his fault, mm -hmm. but it, but this wasn't on Matt. No. Like this was clearly, I think, not something that Matt should think, feel responsible for. Mm-hmm. And and I'll just add, and I kind of question, I don't know if I say question is the right word. It's just, the, the, maybe there's just doubt on Matt's part about the lessons he learned from the last time he met with Father Latham. Mm -hmm. It just, it kind of had that feeling to it. It could be that we've already seen this precedent for Matt's relationship with religion and how much guilt is kind of built into it, which this might be kind of getting into the meta side of it, but like... Yeah. I think that speaks to the volume of the creators linking that guilt to Matt. Yeah. Well, Even... if he had that line, the good Catholic boy, which was a mm -hmm. reference to that guilt. Yeah. So I, I think even though we know that it wasn't Matt's fault, that's just the, um, the driving force of Matt's character where he's going to feel like it is his responsibility, even, even if it's not entirely true. Yeah. Which, I mean, uh, even stepping outside of the religious ties to it i mean i think that's kind of a stable for a lot of heroes is that you know they bear the burden of of the responsibility like um you know yeah uh, peter parker uh oh, yeah. how did they phrase it in home in civil war when uh, you, basically when you when you can do the things i can but can't then or don't the, yeah or don't uh then the bad stuff happens because of you yeah yeah so it, it feels like it's a mixture of the way the creators are at headspace wise and kind of that superhero trope. Oh yeah. So moving into more of the meta side of the notes here is I, I honestly think this season needed one more episode. Um, uh, not to bury the lead here, but I, I feel like there was this feeling of being rushed to a conclusion throughout this episode. Yeah. And, I'd and agree. I think, I think the biggest moment of that in this scene is that it, that it felt out of place to have Karen express her feelings of guilt here. And it felt motivated more by it being the last episode rather than it being something the character would do. Okay. So that was my question. Do you think that that, that was to make Karen or us feel like it was her fault? Like, like you know, I mean, like, like was that more for the character Karen or were they, were they wanting the audience to feel that? Maybe it's both, mm -hmm. you know, but... It, it's hard because clearly you and I already came to this conclusion how much of a hand Karen played into Ben's demise. Yeah. Or like like um, like wanting I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. Wanting us or Karen to feel like it was not her fault. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, trying to like Yeah, just that the whole idea of like Ben, you know, Ben Eric never got pushed into a story he didn't want to write. Mm-hmm. 
Um, were, were they trying to convince us, the audience, that it wasn't her fault? Mm-hmm. Or was that more for Karen's character? I don't know. It, it, it might have been more for the audience. Especially because... And I got to be careful here because I, I, you know, I, I don't want to be incredibly insensitive, mm-hmm. but this is kind of baked into the character of Doris having memory issues. So it <laughs> yeah. felt, it felt weird to me that she was able to recall like, oh, Ben talked about you all the time. You know, if we would have had a kids, we would have liked it to be been like you. And so right. that, that, that felt more like trying to, to assuage Karen's guilt more so than it being in line with anything that had happened pre- previously. Yeah. I, I, I didn't write that down, but I, I know I, that I, I know the, the memory issues that they brought up and it just, it didn't seem like, well, two things. A, it didn't seem like she would remember. Mm-hmm. Right. But even that aside, you know, the links Ben would go to make sure people were safe. Either Ben talked to his wife about Karen because he was like relying on her to forget, mm-hmm. which doesn't make sense. That's not, I don't feel like it'd be something Ben would do. Right. You know, um, or like, I, I just don't know if he'd have that conversation with her, you know, to, to that level of detail. Mm-hmm. We're going to, we're almost going to revisit this idea a lot, I think, throughout this episode, at least within my notes. Yeah. But we've already seen, this show has done this to us before, where they've pulled out information that was either to be assumed or you're supposed to put together that these off-screen moments happen. For example, right. when Karen was upset with Ben, she said something like, why didn't you tell me it had gotten that bad? So, you know, we can put together that obviously they've had more conversations than what we've seen on the show. Yeah. Yeah, And we almost had the same feeling whenever we're supposed to have this big revelation that Fisk's mother has been alive this entire time. Right. And so it it, it feels like this show is doing that to us again with Doris. And mm-hmm. rather than it being something that we can plausibly put together, it feels more like a convenience. Yeah. And that makes sense. Don't get me wrong. Like mm-hmm. for the number of times I've watched this series through, I could forgive it. Yeah. But when I, if I'm going to sit here like we're doing and watch it kind of critically, it stands out. Yeah. So, you know, jumping back into the actual show, um, another note that I had is, you know, we talked a lot about Matt's story circle and how Mm -hmm. we're in this return journey having changed. I really do like the fact that he's faced again with the same catalyst of Fisk killing someone he cares about and is setting and it's setting the stage for him to return, hopefully having changed. So, you know, when obviously when Elena died, that was a lot of the the motivating factor for him to go out and make some of the mistakes that he made. And now we're seeing him right back where he was. And, you know, hopefully we can see what he's learned since the last time that this happened. Well, in this next scene at Nelson and Murdoch's office, uh, Karen and Matt are there. They're, Karen's angry uh, that Ellison was even at the funeral. Um, she's also worried that if they found out Ben was at 
St. Benazant and seeing Fist's mother, they're going to come get her. Um, and Matt is kind of reassuring her, not kind of, Matt is reassuring her that he will protect her, uh, going all the way back to episode one, remember when I told you this. Now, to play off what you were saying about this return and showing change, one of his first lines when she's angry that Ellison was there, Matt says, I thought Ben said he didn't have any evidence of Ellison taking money from Fist. Like, like he's casting doubt on that, showing that he's not reacting to anger right away. He's still thinking things through. Oh, that is an excellent catch. I, yeah. He's not pulling a me. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. We haven't quite got to that point, but I, I will say I I was very sympathetic with Karen because I was like, what, you know, why is he there at the funeral of all people? Uh-huh. And and so yeah. I, I like the work they're doing here with this, this Ellison being a traitor angle. Yeah. But I mean, that that is good of you to point out about it, it is showing how much Matt has changed, because I think that is something that we can continuously uh, keep hammering as we go through this episode. Yeah. Well, you know, in in this in that interaction, Karen comes close to telling Matt about Wesley. Mm-hmm. That, and that's another thing too that I I kind of enjoyed is it, it, in this in this scene and many other scenes they're coming so close for Karen revealing what's going on. But I, I'm honestly kind of intrigued by the way they're holding on to that, like they're keeping that in their back pocket. Yeah, yeah. Going to the meta side of this at this point. You don't know you're getting a next another season, mm-hmm. but it's good to hang on to something like that character-wise. That you you know, I mean, it, it's it's weird because I'm sure there's this balance of like you don't want as a storyteller you don't want to leave anything out and, mm-hmm. and tell the best story possible. But when it's a series like this, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to I think exhaust all storytelling either, right? the mystery of her background is still there. This only adds to it. Mm -hmm. So after their conversation in the Nelson and Murdoch offices, we do switch gears over to Fisk, who is staring out of his apartment windows uh, when Vanessa enters the room. Uh, She questions the documents that Fisk is going over, and he reveals that it was the plans that he had to send her overseas, but he's just merely looking over it, and while doing so, he has found a discrepancy in his files. Yeah, something's amiss is my note, and, you know, I I liked that interaction between them two, um, because I sympathize with Vanessa, you know, in Mm -hmm. the sense of... And be careful here. I don't sympathize with her in the sense of like, oh, I'd be sucked into Fisk world and like in that kind of thing, that kind of way. Um, but the idea of like not wanting to leave, you know, and, and the idea of you know this is this is the the consequences of my choice of being with you, and right. I'm not going to run from that. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I get that and I appreciated that and her sticking with that. Um, mm-hmm. And you know he listened to her. He's like, yeah. He goes, you're you're not going anywhere. It's it was almost like a resignation of like, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> even even though it's the logical answer, I I know you yeah. won't. And honestly, it's kind of in theme with a lot of what we've been exploring with, especially Matt and Fisk, is this way that emotions make us behave illogically. So it, right, you know, it's a kind of echoing of that theme. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, which which kind of segues into my point, you know. When the scene opens up, we see Fisk is kind of staring out the window deep in thought, so much so that he doesn't even hear Vanessa calling for him from the bed. So 
We don't exactly know it then, but we know his mind's occupied by the fact that he's discovered the secret of Leland's, mm -hmm. or at least he's discovered that Leland's been up to something. And it shows, you know, the the insight into his psyche that he's so easily fixated on things that are emotionally upsetting to the point that he's ignoring the person that he cares so deeply about. Right. Well, and it's also interesting to see the level of the level of trust that he had in some people. Mm -hmm. If he's just now seeing how the numbers aren't right, means that he wasn't ever plugged in and fully trusted Leland. Right. And it wasn't until he asked Wesley to do it that, that any kind of doubt on Leland was cast. Mm -hmm. Which I think kind of reveals one of the very first observations I had all the way back in, God, was it episode three or four when we first meet Fisk in the Union Allied group was this feeling that they were all equals. Yeah. And I think seeing that trust that Fisk had lends credibility to the fact that he did trust them. And this, right. this slow infighting, it's taken a toll on him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that the slow infighting, um, but also... It's interesting because now, I mean, when, when you frame it that way, mm -hmm. it's they're looking at him as getting distracted by Vanessa, mm -hmm. which I don't know if I could actually, looking at it that way, actually say the case. I don't know how unified they actually were. More so his belief in that idea of, of the unification. Like, like, I guess the way I was trying to frame it is like, I had that read, but as we went through the season, it wasn't so much the case, but that's what Fisk believed. Like, in your point about well, yeah. how he trusted Liam. Yeah. 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 Well, and I mean, clearly, like, he trusted Gao. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, I could, I'll go out on the limb and say he wasn't thrilled of Nobu or the Russians from the beginning, um, but all indications, he trusted Gao. Yeah. In this next scene, Leland and Fisk uh, arrive at the storage unit, and Leland goes over business deals. Now that all the major players are gone, it's pretty much just the two of them, Fisk hands some documents over to Leland to talk about the irregularities he founds. Uh, Leland assures him that it's nothing. Fisk uh, kind of prods a little bit more, and then Leland comes clean with what has been going on. So I'm just going to read my first note here. Leland crumbles easily. All it took was Fisk pointing out that he noticed he was nervous. And now there was no defense whatsoever. He's like, oh, okay, well, here's what I've been doing all season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, on a more serious note, I, I think this is another example of, of why I felt like this episode was rushed. Um, it, it didn't make sense to me why Leland would just openly admit that they tried to kill Vanessa here. Um, it's, it, it feels like he's feeding Fisk more information than he needs to, like willingly. I guess you could argue that it's to demonstrate how confident Leland is in his plan, but it's like, why, why give him more than you need to? You know what? You're right. He crumpled very quickly. Cause I, the note I wrote down, Leland says, Senator Cherry's cleared the last of the zoning hurdles after squeezing us for another extra 10%. I wrote that quote down and then my note, that's the missing funds. Now, whether that extra 10% went to Senator Cherry, but more likely Leland's saying that and keeping that extra 10% for himself, mm -hmm. which is actually very plausible to really quickly get into, yeah, Vanessa was the target, you know, and yeah, I've been stealing from you. I agree. Like, it, it was a quick fold. Yeah. Because it seemed like he had a cover story through the senator. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You put that together really nicely. Yeah, that that makes so much more sense. And and it kind of goes back to what I think we talked about last episode or the episode before. 
it's it's a checklist. Like we're getting rid of all the major players so we can have this final confrontation. And so yeah. it, it feels like it's it's um, a symptom of that checklist. Well, and after, in my note, my, I have a question that says, you know, okay, Fisk figured it out. Does Leland really think Fisk will let him leave? You know, and mainly because Fisk took off Anatoly's head mm-hmm. and he beat Francis for basically doing as he was told. Like we, we've noted the temper tantrums, you know, and I, I don't know what else to call them, the temper tantrums that Fisk will have that manifest itself in violence. Yeah. And Leland's been aware of that all the way through. So the idea that Fisk could be reasoned with in that way, mm-hmm. it, well, I'll say this. It is believable that the character Leland would think he could get away with it. Yeah. I mean, that was the the whole purpose of his dead man switch. Like, right. I think he was confident in that. Right. Yeah. And it probably does work with somebody who is reasonable and logical, mm-hmm. but Fisk is not. And which, to kind of kind of go out on that limb with you, if he were a logical person, then you could argue that Leland and Gal never would have gotten to the point where they felt like he was distracted. Right. So, kind of a chicken egg situation there. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I kind of mentioned it earlier how um, this show has kind of pulled some unfair reveals. Um, do you feel like them revealing that Leland has Hoffman stowed away was unfair? How so? Because not my initial reaction is no. No. So how so? It's kind of similar to the way that like it's supposed to be this big revelation that Fisk's mother's still alive, although we never we never had confirmation that she was dead. And then to get to this scene with Leland where he's backed up to a corner, honestly, the only way I can kind of describe it, it this might be a little juvenile, but do you remember in Toy Story? Uh, where, you know, Andy's playing with his toys and he's like, well, I brought my attack dog that eats force fields or something like that. Like, it just felt like it was like that yeah. tit for tat, like just pulling yeah. stuff out of nowhere. And that's what I came away with. And it just, it felt like them relying on another unfair reveal rather than it being something that was planted throughout. No, 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 no. I, I don't agree because I, I do think that they planted that. Okay. Because it was that scene where we talked about it, Ben, it was the first time Ben and Matt met up uh-huh. in the Mur- Nelson Murdoch office. And they mentioned about Hoffman and Ben said he's in the wind. Right. No one knows where he's at. Mm-hmm. And so so they laid that small little seed there mm-hmm. of why he hasn't shown up. Yeah. You know, and then with Gal, at that last scene with Gal and Leland, when Gal leaves Leland says you know something effective like I know I can take care of myself you know do you not think I had plans then here's the plans you know of Mm -hmm. of of his own protection so so in that way I I didn't I didn't get that feeling and that's fair now that now that you're walking through it because I remembered the the like Hoffman's in the wind line um but you pointing out about how, because I think I think Leland said something to the effect of like, you think you're the only one that can read tea leaves or something like that, and then yeah, yeah, that's that's the line. Yeah, and so that I'm I'm backing down from that point a little bit. That okay, yeah, yeah, good catch. Well, and and here's the thing. Um, once that happens, right? Well, I tell you what. Let me let me hang on to this thought. Okay. For two more scenes. Okay. Okay. So. 
after the confrontation with Leland culminates to the point where Fisk throws him down an elevator shaft, we switch gears and jump over to Matt, who is training back at the boxing gym. Foggy arrives, and they begin to have a discussion about what Matt's going to do moving forward. Right. So I liked the that they revisited the boxing gym because they haven't been there in a while. Right. You know, and it, and to me, it almost shows that like Matt is getting centered again. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think we've seen the boxing gym since episode one, at least with adult Matt being there. So it's it's full circle. Yeah, I think the end of episode one, because you had all the flashbacks in two, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I don't remember seeing adult Matt there since yep. the episode, since the end of episode one. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a nice way to kind of tie things back together. Yeah. So and we're st- here. We're st- they're still following the Ellison thread. He mentions trying to pay Ellison a visit, and wife and kids show up. So he's going to go out. You know the next night or that night uh, and do it again. Um, but it was a good place for Foggy and Matt to reconcile. And I actually feel like they handled that well. Yeah. They reconciled enough that the two of them can work together for the rest of the episode. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like everything is 100% back to normal either. Right. Which would have gone too far. Right. And I... And they even have the line, something to the extent of Matt, I believe, no, it was Foggy who says, or was it Matt? Matt says something like, I would give anything to get back to where we were, but we can't. All we can do is move forward. And I thought that was like a, a realistic way to handle the the rekindling of their friendship. Um, and, and we already saw, you know, they they were making small movements towards this direction where you know, Foggy was saying like, oh, he doesn't believe that the man in the black mask is a terrorist anymore. So right. it, it's it's been a, a gradual reconciliation between them two, which is good. Yeah. Well, and okay, so in this scene as well is where we get the reason why Foggy missed the funeral. And we find out Marcy um, from that last scene was convinced and had been giving him papers from Layman and Zach. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Matt gets mad you know and i think appropriately so like you did drag somebody else into this mm-hmm. as people are getting killed yeah so yeah i mean especially coming off the back of ben's funeral where he's already taking blame for that one uh that anger you know you can see where that's coming from yeah but uh, this kind of segues into what one of my other notes where you know if if we're falling through with this idea that matt's being challenged again the same way he was with Cardenas. You know, that's I believe that episode is where we pinpointed the rift that began with Foggy and Matt regarding um, whether or not they should have advised her to take the money. Like that's where they're even if they didn't do it exactly how we thought it should have been, you know, there was definitely some conflict there. Yes. And I like that we find Matt again here propelled by the action of somebody's death, except this time Foggy and Matt are together. And you're seeing how Foggy is that grounding reason that i think matt was missing when he went out to go take on nobu oh yeah yeah i think i think that's well and they they hinted to it towards the end of that the other scene where you know to me it wasn't as impactful just because we know what's been what karen has Mm -hmm. but where he breaks down and says i've been pushing people away and i'm alone um and we're starting to build up he's back in the office again he's with karen it's daytime he was out at the funeral he reconnected with Father Latham, you know. So we're seeing all that that regathering to where he's not alone anymore. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, we again, when this just kind of came to me, we we were following this inverse relationship that Matt and Fisk had for so long. 
you know, it's it's telling that we're seeing Fisk lose everyone around him. Meanwhile, Matt is regaining the people closest to him in his life. Right. Yeah. So from there, uh, after Matt and Foggy begin to rekindle their friendship, they do visit Mahoney for any information they can gather. Uh, Mahoney is is reluctant, but he gives as much as he can. Meanwhile, two cops exit the precinct and Matt uses his super hearing to learn that Fisk has cops searching for Hoffman. Yeah, so uh, I like that they reference Serpico. Uh, it's a movie. Al Pacino plays, what's the guy's name? Frank Serpico, is that right? Yeah, Frank Serpico. Um, it's basically about New York Police Department and the officer Frank Serpico going undercover to expose corruption. You know, and it, take, and it takes place over like a 12-year span. Um, so that was a nice little reference there. Uh, and I think based on a true story because it was adapted off a um, a biography. I'm so glad you were able to recall the Frank name because I legitimately think my yeah. only connection to that movie is through Sunny in Philadelphia. I think they spoofed it. <laughs> I've never seen Serpico. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's okay. That's okay. Well, remember, we had the spinoff uh, podcast to watch everything. All the things I got to catch up on. Yeah. That's okay. I haven't seen it either. I have my... Uh, <laughs> little imdb page up <laughs> the trick like, like I've, I've heard of it and i i've heard of it and i know of, uh-huh. and i know of it um but i have my little nice. tabs up <laughs> um i'm not gonna do that to you <laughs> now back into the show they there was a good follow-up we we talked about how you know him running into mahoney mm-hmm. in the alley just didn't quite make sense other than just you need it yeah. for something else um and we're seeing that mm-hmm. really quickly you know, Mahoney is, he's believing the man of the mask because of the suspicious uh, actions of all these other right. officers. You know, I, I think I specifically took issue with that scene last episode. Um, and and you're right, like they, they pay it off here. And it, it's very true to what we've been watching all season with that A-B cadence. And um, that resolution doesn't come unless you're you're binging like, like this. Yeah. Well, two things. A, I thought Mahoney had a really good line, yeah. you know, when, when about the cheap cigars buying the cheap cigars the whole time, something to that effect. Uh-huh. But I was disappointed they didn't that Foggy didn't have a reaction. Yeah, he, but and I feel like that was an editing choice because mm-hmm. even his face was just blank. Yeah, and you cut back and immediately it's Matt talking. I'd like to have seen what they what they would have done right there. You know, mm-hmm. um, or well, not what they would have done. I would like to have seen um, what Eldon Eldon Henson. Uh, I don't know why this is the first time we're bringing up his name as right. the actor. I'm just kind of foggy. But Eldon Henson, I would have loved to have seen his reaction there because I he's done so well the series that I'm sure he had something that just hit the cutting room floor. The banter is his strength oh, throughout yeah. the entirety of the season, so it, it, it would have fit in perfectly. Yeah. Well, and the other thing, this, this really here is where the episode, the tension in the episode starts. You know, mm-hmm. my note, the race for Hoffman. Yeah. My biggest note that I took out of this scene is, you know, now that we're seeing Foggy and Matt working together again, I think we're also back with the most interesting part of the show, which is where Matt's legal side meets the superhero side, and he uses yeah. it in tandem to further the story. Right. It, it feels like that element's been missing for a while, and it's it's honestly when the show is at its strongest. And, and it makes sense why it's been gone, since we've been dealing with a lot of infighting between the trio but yeah. i i'm so glad to see it back and and to play off what you said about this is where the tension starts you know this is the show at its best is is when they're using the law and the superhero stuff oh yeah 
Yeah, completely. So with the newfound information that Hoffman is out there to be found, the trio reunites back at the Nelson and Murdoch offices, and things are almost starting to seem like they're normal. Uh, they're going over Lamin and Zach files, trying to find out any information they can about where Hoffman might be holed up. So in the scene, we get Nelson and Murdoch bantering again. And even I feel like Karen's reaction was, you know, the audience reaction. Like she kind of had that smile and they're like, what? And she's like, this is nice. This is the way it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there, that was just a really nice moment and a nice use of that character mm-hmm. to kind of, that's a legit feeling for that character. But that's also this kind of the, the audience feeling as well. Right. Especially because... We, when we first get into the show, we already know that there's history with Matt and Foggy. So at least in that aspect, Karen kind of becomes the surrogate for the audience to be that outside perspective in. So like you said, it's, it's a great use here to have her being excited about the semi-normal banter. Yeah. So kind of carrying on my point from the, from the last scene about the show being the strongest when Matt's superhero side is in tandem with the law. I do like this new element that they've introduced with Foggy being in the know. And watching the two of them try to work that dynamic in the relationship while also trying to keep that secret from Karen. Oh, yeah, that was a really good um, moment. And you know what? It's an interesting turn for Foggy, too, Mm -hmm. you know, because because we talked about and they showed or stressed how much honesty was important to him Mm -hmm. and his willingness to continue to cover uh, for Matt to build up, clearly rebuild that relationship you know, and to try something new, as they said at the end of that other scene, rather than things being how they were, you know, but it, it you're starting to get in the sense of like foggy kind of, not fully, but kind of starting to agree with Matt on the Daredevil persona. Mm-hmm. Especially because I believe as Matt is leaving, once they've discovered like the uh, the possibility of where Hoffman might be, you know, Matt makes this excuse about needing to go so that he can visit it as Daredevil and foggy tries to stop him. And and Matt has this line where he says, this is where reality meets the law. So it's it's in the line itself talking about how this is the core of the show is that relationship of the superhero and, and the law. Yeah, I thought that was a good line. A really good I, line. I really liked that line. Yeah. yeah. And the delivery of it as well, because I think I think there was almost a point where you could kind of argue that like potentially being on Foggy's side about like, you know, what are you doing? You're just one man. What are you going to do that Mahoney couldn't? And then Matt just deflates any credibility to that argument when he just says, this is where reality meets the law. This is what we've been building up to all season. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and I think Foggy's been through enough that that line is convincing. Yeah. You know, like he's seen enough when when Matt's referring to reality, at least in the context of Fisk and the things he's willing to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as Matt is in pursuit of Hoffman, we do switch over to Fisk, who's driving alone in an SUV, and he receives a phone call. We can't hear the audio, but we are able to infer that they've found Hoffman as well, and Fisk orders them to take him out. Uh, We do jump to the location where Hoffman is being held, and we see the security guards that are around him, and his location is discovered by Fisk's men, and everybody is systematically taken out until Hoffman's left alone, but of course... Daredevil arrives and is there to save him from death. So I do want to say that my first note is with Fisk in the car. Um, You know, we kind of combine these scenes a little bit because it does jump from one place to another. But, you know, in that first short scene, I'm really glad that they took the time to show Fisk alone in the car. um, Because we joked about how often Fisk and Wesley are riding around together. But 
as we're seeing this union allied group finally falling apart one by one with we're left with this visual of fisk being alone especially with the way that he just kind of stares out the window and is surrounded by darkness it's it's interesting to see the way that has all come apart right and god i think this is the first time we've seen him in a car from the interior of a car since wesley's passed right right yeah 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 and i I would even say I think this might be the the only time we've ever seen him in a car is with Wesley. Yeah. No, that's not right. true. That's not true. No, he was with you're his sure? mom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's the time with his other mom. Than, other and than that. that. Okay. Uh, hmm. Let's just edit that scene out with his mom and make us right. Perfect. We've already rewritten the show for them. So <laughs> let's just take over the editor's hat as well. Okay. Uh, you know, but, but I mean, you're right though, in the sense of the loneliness and mm-hmm. having to do business by himself you yeah. know, as, as the things fall apart. Um, you, and, and I did forget about that scene with his mom, you know, now I, I noted down like NYPD shows. And then I realized and scratched it out and wrote WFPD, Wilson Fisk police department. <laughs> um, <laughs> They came in like they're fully trained SWAT and took out what we'd assume were Leland's men, yeah. you know, and he was getting close to the end of that 24 hours and they, they made quick work of them. Right. You know, real quick work. Um, and then I just loved the way they did that fight sequence of you're getting ready to see Hoffman be shot. He closes his eyes. You start hearing the gunshot and it's Daredevil taking him out and we don't see it. And what I, I guess what I loved about it, it was just one of the things we appraised the show for in the very beginning was how efficient they were in their storytelling. Mm-hmm. They give us a lot of story in a very efficient manner. Um, and I felt like this scene was kind of, was, was doing that, right? Like, because for the number of people, if you would have showed the fight scene, that would have taken a couple of minutes, mm-hmm. you know, but the mystery and to put it in Hoffman's perspective of just eyes closed and just hearing it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Especially because this leads into Matt having to intimidate him. And so as an audience, if you're keeping us in Hoffman's perspective, and like we've said all season, the different modes at which Matt takes on enemies, whether it be the larger than life persona or the, you know, the heaviness of when we're with Matt, choosing to use this larger than life method of fighting it helps solidify that intimidation factor once he goes up against hoffman it was really well done as far as a fight sequence yeah um one of the things that i had concern about was they just found hoffman Mm -hmm. and as i mentioned a few minutes ago the tension of this episode is the race to hoffman yeah and there he is now found yeah so what next I get why it's done because obviously we know how this is going to play out and we kind of want to have, let's say, a pseudo celebration before having it ripped out from underneath. So it it makes sense why it would be this early that we get Hoffman, but you're spot on by saying you're removing the tension by having it resolved this early. Uh, So in this next scene, um, you know, we see Hoffman walking through the precinct, uh, going directly up to Mahoney and turning himself in, says, I'd like to make a statement. Um, and then we're back in the interrogation room and Hoffman's making a statement with Matt and Foggy uh, at his side. And he starts to, you know, turn on everyone. 
And then at this point, we get a montage of everybody. Cops, Turk, um, the Bulletin employee, uh, Layman and Zach lawyer, Senator Cherry. We we get all of those people in connection with Fisk um, being arrested. Okay, so I've got to step out here and say I've done a complete 540 on Ellison. He's not the bad guy I thought he was. <laughs> but does this mean that Ben's writing was crap? It it's I think so. I actually think so. You know, oh, well, man. it's funny. Okay, so I you text you sent me a text and saying, "Okay, I finished Daredevil" a few days ago. And then I sent you a picture of a note I wrote when we were recording <laughs> the last one. <laughs> it says, and I'm just going to read my note. Trey thinks Ellison has been bought. He hasn't. Someone they showed uh, camera lingered on her. She's the one. <laughs> um, yeah. So like I knew and I remembered it. It wasn't uh, Ellison. So yeah. So so and I didn't want to say anything while we were recording the last podcast. <laughs> I was going to say how how hard was it to just kind of sit there and be like. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, trust me. <laughs> trust me, that was very hard. <laughs> oh, man. Again, that's, I just thought, okay, I got to write this down and we're going to bring it up later. You know? Oh, yeah. So um, I, I couldn't go without having that retraction here in the, uh, the episode. <laughs> and I, I, the reason I was stalling here is because I was looking for my, my, my text back to you because you sent me the, te- the picture of the notes and I put, I'm somehow as naive and not as naive as I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what? And, and it makes sense. You know, it's, it's a good misdirect to point mm-hmm. it at Ellison, you know. Um, yeah. And and I do think it's fair to say Ben's writing was crap, mm-hmm. which brings us back to that opening thing with Karen and his wife saying he doesn't get pushed into a story he doesn't want to. And I'm like, eh, he kind of was. Yeah. Because as, as he was being a good writer and saying, I need these other sources. Yeah. And he was being hesitant. Um, and I think rightfully so, you know, and he got sucked in. Yeah, I'm glad you you kind of clarified that because I, I obviously you know we never actually see his writing in the show, but the 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 quote unquote being crap is more to do with the fact that he was cutting corners source wise, and yeah. so that's like you said in conflict with with the beginning of the scene of the right. show, right? But you know, kind of circling back to the catalyst of everybody being apprehended, being Hoffman opening up about everything, I do like that when Hoffman was giving his testimony. He started to stutter on the name of Fisk during it. But, you know, so much of Fisk's power was built on creating this idea that he was bigger than just a man, uh, you know, like the Russians said. So yeah. as we're watching everything he built fall apart, it's nice to see Hoffman literally overcome that fear and everything starts to topple around Fisk. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? And one of the things I, I do want to mention, one last thing on Ellison, when they were arresting um, the lady from the bulletin Caldwell Caldwell when they were arresting Caldwell they they had a good medium shot on Ellison and his face said it all like it was such a brief moment um, but kind of that that he was able to like do a subtle facial expression that kind of showed the shock um, because she was standing right next to him at Ben's funeral mm-hmm you know, and and so so there was a lot was conveyed in that quick shot, and I thought that was really well done. Yeah, you know, and kind of sticking with this, these the way all the apprehensions took place with the music being um, played over the action. We don't hear any dialogue from anybody, and you know, 
I think multiple times throughout the season, we've kind of compared the first season of Daredevil to like mafia movies, and it almost feels very Godfather-esque with this sequence of everyone being taken into custody over dramatic music being played. Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely so. So, of course, with the apprehensions taking place, it all culminates to the moment where Vanessa is watching on the news, horrified as this is happening, and Fisk is very hurriedly trying to explain to her what's going on and what she needs to do. As this happens, the FBI arrives and Fisk proposes to Vanessa, but he's pulled away and arrested shortly after. One of the things I found interesting, I don't know if we ever found out what he told her. Yeah, I was wondering. Like, he got in... Yeah, he got in close and whispered something and then came back. That's when he proposed. I don't think we ever get that information. Definitely not in this season. I was actually wondering if it's something that gets revisited later once, you know, other seasons happen. I don't remember. Yeah. I honestly don't remember. That'll be, that'll be, it's it's kind of fun that we're at this point where we can put pin in things knowing that it's going to be explored in other, well, hoping it gets explored in other seasons. Yeah. 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 Now, whether or not Vanessa shows up again... You know, I I do know that, but like specifically what he whispered, mm-hmm. I don't know if that came up again. Right. I, it, I just don't remember. And it, it's kind of, it's interesting that they would, because again, you know, nothing happens on, well, there's purpose whenever you're framing scenes. And so what would be the purpose of them having this information being revealed if it's not something they're going to play with later? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So with Fisk finally... In custody, uh, the trio celebrates back at Nelson and Murdoch offices as they listen to the news. Uh, They take a celebratory drink and a toast, which leads us to cut to Fisk, who is being transported, and he begins to recount a story from the Bible about a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Fisk uses this story to illustrate the way he views himself, and it culminates to a moment where we find out that Fisk is being broken out of custody. So my very first note here, Uh they are celebrating with... 23 minutes and 15 seconds left in the episode. Too soon, Daredevil needs to face Fisk one final time. You know, it, yeah. it, it's kind of like that don't count your winnings before it's over <laughs> kind of <laughs> feeling. Um, yeah. Well, I think I think Karen even has a line where she says something like, we were so stupid to think it would be this easy to take someone like yeah, him down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it goes back to what you were saying about the um, the tension of Hoffman being resolved too quickly. And it's interesting. We've seen moments before in this show where it's that intellectual, we know it can't happen, but emotionally we felt it. I, I don't know. I don't think they did a good enough job of the handling it emotionally because I was kind of like on that same like, okay, this is happening too fast kind of yeah. feeling. No, no, no. I think that's a good way to put it. Because um, we've mm-hmm. mentioned the story circle a number of times. And we know there has to be one more final confrontation to show that he's learned the moral that, that, that he set it out yeah. to learn. Um, and he never got that, Yeah, you know, it just didn't quite feel right. And I, I think it's coming to me now just to kind of cement what I was saying more. It's like, you're not going to fool us that we're not going to see a confrontation with daredevil. So why try and pull one over on the audience? when I think you can make better decisions of how to structure this episode rather than what they did here with this false victory. Yeah. Yeah. Now I like what they did with Fisk's speech. And there was one thing I didn't like about Fisk's speech, but the main thing Uh I liked about Fisk's speech is as he's telling it, they're cutting back to the trio. 
right? So yeah. you see Matt when he talks, you know, at first when he's talking about the Samaritan, um, when he's talking about the traveler in the story, you the camera's right on Karen, and it's clearly, you know, Karen and Hell's Kitchen, the city, is the traveler of the story. Mm-hmm. And then when he has this line that says, you know, talking about people who, who without thinking of circumstances in terms of willing to help, the camera's clearly on Foggy. So there's a good use of taking that story, seeing where Fist thought he was, and seeing, like, which characters really are matched with that story. You know, and, and I thought they did really well. Mm-hmm. Now, what I didn't like about the speech is up to this point, Fisk was a very complex character. He's he's vulnerable, and he's vulnerable, and he's vulnerable. And you've built this story of he's someone who wants to help the city, and he's just not doing it in the right mm-hmm. way. You know, like, I have this love for the city. I want to build up the city. And he's clearly stepping on whoever he wants to to do so. And so when he ends with this, I'm the ill content, you're putting him in a place as the Joker. Mm-hmm. Right. Like who only exists for the chaos and just wants to watch the world burn. And that hasn't been his motivation. Right. And so and so while it was a good story, I think it undoes some of the development and vulnerability you show of mm-hmm. Fisk, you know. So, yeah, I I don't know. I could be reading it wrong, but that that was kind of my well, it was a good moment. And Vincent D'Onofrio fantastic actor and did well with it, you know, fantastic with it. Um, I just, it just, to me, it didn't make sense uh, because it it went against that. He, he wasn't just an ill content. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now that I'm kind of thinking through this, cause I, I'm, I'm on the fence here. I'm not completely against it, but I, I I can see your reasoning because, well, let me read my note first. I put, this is the moment that Fisk stops caring about the city and recognizes that he is motivated by power and malice. He is the monster that he fought so desperately not to be. And so when you're when you're kind of putting forth the removing this complexity of Fisk, then if he's gotten to this point where he doesn't care about the city anymore, the way that he was acting moments before he was stripped away from Vanessa felt like he still had a plan that he was falling back on. And so right. it's it like you said, it feels like it's it's it feels off. It it does. And I, I can does. say more yeah. about removing the complexity when we do get to the final confrontation. Yeah. And and I guess why I'm on the fence is you know, we've seen we've seen Fisk be put through the ringer with everything he's lost in this season. So it does make sense that he would get to this point where like, you know what? Screw this city. But it just Right, but but in that final confrontation, just looking slide ahead, like he's saying, "This was my city, and you took yeah. it from me. You took everything from me." So those lines still shows that care for the city. Yeah, but I mean, well, okay, I'll save it for when we get there, because there's there's more to it there. But yeah, and, and just to echo, echo what you said, the the delivery of that story in conjunction with everything that was happening was incredibly powerful, and I do like that. Um, I don't know. It kind of gave me goosebumps when he finally got to the line of like, I am the ill intent. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I honestly didn't remember at this point. I kind of expected him to beat those two guys with his bare hands. (laughs) Well, I, 
I had a completely different memory of everything that happened. For some reason, I thought everything, like the final confrontation, came to this point on the highway. So I was completely caught off guard when the scene moved off the highway. I do want to make one more observation real quick before we move to the next scene. Okay. You you talked about this idea of of Matt and Foggy slowly coming to this reconciliation. There's a line that Matt has that I think perfectly sums up the way that, you know, things aren't back to normal, but they're going to try and move forward is as, you know, as they're kind of trying to leave before the city gets shut down, uh, you know, Matt takes off and Foggy's like, wait, where are you going? You can't go fight him, you know, in your pajamas. You won't last. And Matt has a line that says, look, I know I haven't earned your trust yet, but I know what I'm doing. And that I think is the embodiment of what their new relationship is. And I like that dynamic between them. Yeah. No, no, no. That's it. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, it shows that, well, Matt's proposal, right? Like it's not going to be what it was, but maybe it can be something new. Um, mm-hmm. And they're and they found that that ground of how to how to coexist together, right? And 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 as much as Foggy is a person who puts so much value and trust, Matt coming from that angle of like, I know I haven't earned it, but please, just I have to do this, and I that's good. Looking back just a moment in the show, Fist does escape. He gets, I guess, his men all dressed in like SWAT tack type gear. And they really overwhelm the NYPD with numbers uh, and kill them all. Uh, and then, you know, a little surprise where one of, when they actually get to the truck, one of the two men on the inside wearing an FBI, I don't want to say logo, an FBI um, uniform. uniform or indicator shoots the other one and, and says, you know, calls Fist Sir. And clearly he has somebody on the FBI on the payroll. I liked you know, it kind of calls into question, can you trust the people that Hoffman made a statement to? Uh, but, you know, it was a good twisty moment to get Fist to escape. Mm-hmm. So in the next scene, we do see that Matt stops by Melvin Potter's place to pick up his new suit. It then cuts to him standing on top of a rooftop in the new suit as he's using his hearing to locate Fisk. Once he picks up on chatter that signifies where Fisk is located, he hops into action. And we cut to Fisk communicating with Vanessa uh, and explaining the new scenario in which she has 20 minutes for him to meet up with him. And if not, she'll have to leave on her own without him. Right. So here's a place where, you know, trying to build tension again, trying to get to, you got to get to a certain location by a certain time so Fisk and Vanessa can leave together. I don't know if I felt the tension of like, will he get there or not? Mm-hmm. Just because it's the last episode and you kind of you know how these go. Right. And, and so I don't know if I really felt that tension, but you, you know, you kind of have that going there. Um, it was nice that through this, how they, had Matt in the Daredevil suit, but you still mm-hmm. haven't had the reveal yet. Right. You know, it's it's taken all season, but the debut of it, because it, it, within this scene, we do get to the point where he we do see it, but to, to hold on to that catharsis just a little bit longer was a good part on them. Yeah, it really was. Because any of the reveals of a, you know, looking at the MCU proper of, of their suit need, needs to have a good moment. Right. Like you just don't right. want to do that in passing. Um, and, mm-hmm. and so I really liked the restraint they had and showed and showed him in action, you know, before they w- well, in action, showed him in action 
how we've seen him a number of times in the shadows and we really couldn't see anything uh, before we actually got a full glimpse of his new armor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Here, while Matt is triumphant, maybe, uh, might not be, maybe too big of a word, over, you know, Fisk's drivers in his truck, Fisk is able to get away. Um, and in trying to escape, Matt gets cornered in an alley and they have their final confrontation. One of the things that I do like is, you know, as Matt has cornered Fisk in this alleyway, uh, you know, we've been examining this idea of Matt returning to a familiar point having changed. You know, he has a callback to the line, take your shot. And it's incredibly interesting to me that the last time that that line was used was the first confrontation that they had where Matt was driven by emotion and was, you know, easily outmaneuvered by Fisk. And in this final episode, we're seeing, you know, now it's Fisk is the one yeah. that has been driven by emotion. Yeah. Um, Matt has learned enough to know to throw that line back at him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. clearly... You know, it, you know, sometimes you have these lines in shows like that, that are just kind of like, okay, it's a cheap, you know, or cheesy. Um, but yeah. I didn't feel like that at all. I completely agree mm. with you that it was a, a very pointed emotional manipulation, you know, I'm ready for you this time kind of, kind of line. I, I liked it. And we can go an even step further where, again, going back to that episode, the last time Matt went out. You know, we we briefly talked about this moment where Nobu was talking about, I can't remember exactly how he worded it, but he, he said something to the extent of like, I'm going to show you honor, you show me honor, insinuating that Matt should put away his sticks. And obviously Matt doesn't. That inspires Nobu to use his blades. So I like that when Matt corners Fisk, the first thing he does is that he puts his sticks away. Yeah. And so it's kind of another lesson learned there as yeah. well. I think officially they're called Billy Clubs. We finally got it. <laughs> well, I'm not sure what it is there, but like the ones that Potter made for him. Because mm -hmm. it's got, it's kind of got that like breakaway where you can combine them together or you can break them in half. Yeah. The, the one that the little baton or whatever, I think officially uh -huh. is called Billy clubs. Okay. So yeah. You know, and, and I'm saying like the ones that he has that break away and, and that, you know, yeah. And it's a good catch. I like that, how he puts them away. There was a nice little detail. I think Murdoch is left-handed. Um, and so you had it on that side. Uh, uh -huh. And if I remember right, because when it came out, I think Charlie Cox is right-handed and Murdoch's left. But he, he made sure to, you know, to not switch it up uh, and to learn it yeah. that way. And that was a nice little touch and detail. You know, sounds like a trivia question. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, you know... <laughs> Well, to kind of like play off that a little bit, you're reminding me like just a, a testament to how much Charlie Cox put into this character. Yeah. Take it with a grain of salt, but I've seen multiple reports that in preparing for this role of Daredevil, you know, obviously, you know, Matt is a blind character. So Charlie kind of perfected that, like staring off into the distance, but not really looking at somebody when he's talking to them. Right. So much to the point that when he tried out for other roles... Like he couldn't break away from that. I, I think the really allegedly he tried out for Han Solo and the Solo movie, and he didn't get it because he couldn't break away from that habit he formed in Daredevil. Really, that's interesting. I did not know that. Again, take it with a grain of salt. This is you know stuff I've I've seen from Reddit, but I haven't right. like gone to one hundred percent confirm it. But yeah, well, that's, clearly that's to, if it's in Reddit, 
Hey, I have a complicated relationship with Reddit. <laughs> it was, in my defense, it was linked to articles, not necessarily just the comments in Reddit. Okay, so okay. I just didn't read the article as a That's good fair. internet person. Well, you know what? You know what? I I have a love hate relationship uh, with Reddit that we can save for another episode. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So we'll we'll mark that. I'll mark that down for for another uh-huh. episode. <laughs> I can't wait. We'll stir the pot. Yeah. Um. You know what? And and they had a fight. Uh, <laughs> like, like that's honestly the best way to put you it. You know, and I mean, it's it's one of those things where, you know, I mean, I've kind of so to me, the episode tension was this race to Hoffman, and that got mm-hmm. resolved with I said twenty three minutes left in the episode, and so mm-hmm. in this fight, that was all it was. It was a fight. Right, you know, and and you knew even when Fisk had the upper hand, which he should get the upper hand. Um, you know, that's kind of a visual film vocabulary that we're used to. Mm-hmm. That the Daredevil's still going to win. So, right. but there was no tension there. You know, so so like, yeah. If you take Endgame, there was an object and tension driving the fight. Mm-hmm. The the gauntlet and the Infinity Stones, and trying to keep it away from Thanos, trying to get it to the van, like you had its own three part act. And even the Russo brothers have talked about it. Um, going all the way back to Iron Man one, there was tension involved because Iron Man's arc reactor was the older reactor. It was losing power. You were going up against Ironmonger that was fully charged. Um, even in how they defeated him, you know, there was tension in, you know, can you get there? Um, and, and they were able to create that tension in terms of you intellectually know Iron Man's going to win, but they, they do a good job of making you feel the difficulty he has. Yeah. Um, and this was just the regular showdown in the back alley. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so in that, like, I, it was kind of hard to think like something was on the line. And, you know, to me, I, I think this adds back to that feeling that I think we needed one more episode because it, it feels almost upsetting that this confrontation with Fisk lasts just this one scene. Um, for something we've been working towards all season, you would think there would be a little more complexity to their final confrontation. Right. And and especially with the show, which has demonstrated just how great they've been at creating action and fighting scenes that, you know, maybe try and do something a little bit more. As much as they've done like one take shots with their scenes or, yeah. or the way they've demonstrated the heaviness of a fight. Uh it kind of felt retreading things we've already seen with this right. one. So if I was going to do this differently, um, Hoffman, the race to Hoffman would, would, would cause the final confrontation. Fisk and Daredevil arrive at the same time. And to add to the Good Samaritan speech, I'd leave that. And that's something he gives directly to Daredevil as they fight over uh-huh. the soul of the city. Um, yeah. They, they find Hoffman at an abandoned church to kind of keep that biblical theme, you know, for that final confrontation. And then when that's over and you turn Hoffman over to Mahoney, you have that musical montage of everybody being arrested. I like that a lot. That that structure feels so much more um, resonating than, than what we got. Yeah. And, and now that, I, you, you know, you kind of just put this thought in my head. Because I, I like the Good Samaritan speech, but when you think about it, who's he delivering it to? Like, there's no connection he has to those guards. Like, why? What is, 
what is the purpose? And it would have been so much more rewarding as an audience if we would have seen him deliver that speech to Matt. Right. So I, I like your idea of that a lot more than what we got. Yeah. Thank you. You know, well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, we find out that like, you know, he starts to talk and one of them says, shut up. I didn't say you could talk. And the other one says, let him speak. And we find out that other one said, let him speak works for him. Mm-hmm. You know, but you're right. Like he's not delivering it to anybody, you know, it, yeah. in scene. Mm-hmm. It, the, uh, it's. He's delivering it to the audience, but I mean, you're breaking the the reality that way. Yeah. You know, I do kind of want to circle back onto this, this, this little uh, discussion we were having about, you know, stripping away the complexity of Fisk and then having that line in this final confrontation where he's like, you took everything from me. And the rebuttal that I wanted to have to that, it, you know, is in the same scene. He gets to the point where he's screaming, this city doesn't deserve a better tomorrow. Right. So it's 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 weird to have this it it's like a conflict within the same character of like okay where does he actually stand yeah so after matt eventually gets the better of fisk we do see a scene which i'm gonna go ahead and preface this here we're the way that this this finale of the episode happens it's all a bunch of swift quick shots so we're going to try and do our best to combine everything here at the end and then discuss it as a whole so bear with me so we get a scene of mahoney cuffing fisk and he begins to question what he's supposed to call the man in the black mask and of course before he can give an answer matt takes off and is in the wind we then cut to the trio holding a newspaper where we reveal that the man in the black mask has been given a new name daredevil so the trio kind of joke around about it and, and the effectiveness of it, while it is also revealed that Foggy and Marcy are attempting to get back together. As Foggy leaves the scene, Karen and Matt have a quick conversation about how Matt is still picking up some uneasiness in Karen's voice. And it's revealed that despite the fact that they won, Karen is still dealing with the fact that you can't bring back the people they lost or change the things they've done. Matt does offer her some wisdom about moving forward, and that is enough for them to carry on. From there, we do switch to Fisk, who's sitting alone in a prison cell, and he's staring at the wall in front of him, and it invokes a very similar feeling to the rabbit in the snowstorm painting that we got early on in the season. And then finally, the last shot of this scene is where Matt is in full costume. He is listening out into the city. And as he hears some troubled screams, he takes off into the night and jumps off to go fight. Okay. So they uh... How's that? <laughs> that was good. That was good. That was good. Thank you. Oh, man. There's a lot to unpack here. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like that's the best way to approach it, though. Yeah. You know, it's just... I think you and I, before we even started recording, we had this conversation where we're like, we weren't really sure of the notes. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that we've been working towards all of this all season. So there's not a lot to comment on that we haven't commented already. Right. So it's a lot of just like getting the resolutions of the things we've been talking about all season. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what they did with these last couple of things. I mean, they Mahoney and daredevils resolved, right? Cause right. originally Mahoney sees them. And clearly, like, he's in his new suit. And so Daredevil has to say, I forgot the line. Um, But basically, he verbally lets Mahoney know, realize that, oh, that's the man in the mask. Um, And then he goes on. 
Uh, and then you come back, like you said, with Matt. And even Matt, you know, finally brings up and notices something's amiss with Karen. Yeah. Which, when she's bringing up Ben and Elena, to me, she's still that misdirect. You know, to me, I'm still thinking Wesley, Wesley, Wesley. Yes. You know, but but, but it's enough of a, of, a res, of a resolution for that group at the end here, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, and then, and then same thing, you know, you get the resolution with uh, Vanessa. Fisk doesn't show and she leaves. We see Fisk kind of back to where he was in the beginning, staring at the painting, rabbit in a snowstorm. You know, mm-hmm. so, um, and then Foggy, you know, finally settling on a relationship, I guess, um, you know, <laughs> with Marcy, you know, so, so we kind of yeah. tie in, tying all those loose ends together. You know, I, I think, you know, of the quick approach to all these scenes that we just had, I really am intrigued with how they're leaving that lingering story thread of Karen dealing with the fallout of killing Wesley. Like you said, she yeah. states that she's focused on Ben and Elena, which I, I don't doubt her. There's there's weight to that. But I think you're right that she's still clearly troubled by it, but it's not going to get resolved this season. And I, you know, we talk a lot about leaving things for the next season regarding, regardless if you know you're going to get a second season. And I think that's a good story hook yes. because it, it, it plays in line with that same um motif that we've got going on with foggy and matt about how we're not going to get back to normal but we can try and move forward and that's echoed exactly with the way matt says we can try and move forward here oh yeah i think they left themselves with room to play and resolved uh some stories here yeah i do want to say as just kind of a observation it's kind of funny that we spent this whole season with matt and foggy and I think they've only had three clients, of which I don't think any of them were paying clients. Maybe Healy, but I don't know if they ever got that money. Well, you know what? So I, I always assumed that it was the the check that they got from Wesley. Uh-huh. That's right. That basically, I just always assumed that it was big enough that Fisk funded them <laughs> to take them down. <laughs> <laughs> hoisted by his own petard <laughs> like 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 there's no other way to explain it other than that or the amount of money karen gave and like she's sharing it with all of them which that doesn't make sense yeah that's really funny <laughs> so so yeah like it like it has to so be that. either the most the most effective lawyers at all time or you know just the luckiest lawyers <laughs> i know right <laughs> Oh my God, that's great. So, and, and I liked, I, you know, I, I've been thinking about this. I liked the final scene where you see him in the suit again and he goes jumping off the rooftop. If they didn't have that, they could have ended on the trio parting ways. And I would have mm-hmm. been okay with that too. Uh, but I do like they gave us one last look at the, the, the suit or daredevil in yeah. action. Yeah. And you know, I kind of staying within that scene, I'll admit, I've been nitpicky so far this whole review, so I don't want to diminish the fact that I I did enjoy this final scene, but it feels so out of, like, the mid-2000s with, like, the generic (laughs) screens in the distance. I I believe it's called, like, a Dutch camera angle. uh, And then the swelling music. Yeah. But I do give it credit for recreating the comic pose, though. I I did like that they added that touch. Okay. Well, you know what's funny? I want to look this up real quick. You said the... 
it had that mid 2000s or the 2000s feel. Yeah. Maybe it was an homage to the 2003 Daredevil. <laughs> oh my God, we've come full circle. <laughs> Do we watch the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie now? Oh no. Um, <laughs> that was a genuine apprehension. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll have to work it in as a bonus incentive you, somehow. You know, you know what? A year from now, maybe? <laughs> an anniversary. Right? Like, we'll like torture maybe, ourselves. maybe an anniversary of Daredevil. We're going to go through this. You know, I mean, screen run time. I'm looking at it on IMDb right now. It's an hour 43, you know, minus credits, which is usually what, about seven to 10 minutes? So right. it's not a long movie. Man, not at all. At all, at all, a long movie. So I think we have to do it now. <laughs> uh, okay. So, so that will be on the docket for down the line. Yeah. It came out Valentine's oh, Day, done? too. What? better romantic movie than i know daredevil okay <laughs> hey well there's precedent for it didn't dare uh deadpool come out on valentine's day yes yes so there we go yeah but that Marvel's... i mean but daredevil is romantic not daredevil mm. deadpool deadpool is romantic it kind of was now that i think about it in a <laughs> warped way a very warped way <sighs> so we have reached the conclusion of not only this episode, but the season finale of Daredevil. So do you have any overall thoughts for this episode or uh, the season as a whole? I'm going to say season as a whole. I For those, for everybody who listened to this full podcast, start to finish, um, I, I know there might be a feeling of like towards the end of like I didn't like it, um, but I really mm-hmm. did enjoy it. Um, yes. I do feel like a binge watch better serves this series mm-hmm. than it does week to week. Uh, yeah. But man, as far as like the first entry to like a darker gritty feel mm-hmm. um, and considering when it came out and where the MCU movies are, the MCU proper movies are the expectation of this was supposed to be in the MCU when it first came out. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I love the change of pace, you know, and and I think it still holds up that change of pace. It's fantastic. Yeah. So for me, I'll start with overall of the episode itself. Um, you know, I, I've been pretty clear. I, it did feel pretty rushed, but I did still enjoy it. Uh, we've been working towards this moment all season, and and there are some pretty cathartic moments that we do get, you know, with the suit reveal, uh, Matt and Foggy getting together, uh, Fist being put away. I just wish there would have been another episode to give it more time to breathe especially with the way that you outlined a potential way they could have structured this. I think that would have been more rewarding. Yeah. And like you said, like the, that feeling of like getting all the way to the end and, and not liking it. I, I, I do. I do enjoy it. But I think my biggest takeaway is that I think this first season built up so much goodwill mm-hmm. off the back of the first four episodes that it propelled it through an, une- an uneven season. Um, yeah. And it's a season that's easy to forgive its blemishes when binge, but less so when viewed week to week like we did. Right. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree with I, that. I think it is a testament to those first four episodes, though, of how solid of a base they've built that I'm still invested in the show and the world that they created. And I am 100% ready for the next season. I am. I, okay. I'm glad you brought that up um, because I, when I finished watching the finale, I watched episode one of season two. I, was so tempted 
I may have watched more than I've done. Like, because I've tried to keep myself to one episode a week. Yeah. My quote unquote uh, loophole was that I was just skipping ahead to see if I could get to the opening intro to see if the theme changed from season one to season two. But I felt really guilty, so I didn't watch anything past that. Uh. I didn't even get to the opening <laughs> credits. <laughs> but I saw enough. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's going to be it's going to be good. Yeah. Well, God, we'll, it's going to be hard to go week to week when I haven't seen them. We're going to have to we're going to have to open up um, the calendar and figure out where we can do the second season. Yeah. We kind of talked about it at the beginning of the episode. We've been kind of under this assumption that we were going to start getting new Marvel stuff in August. Uh, you know, anything's on the table now that things are kind of still in flux, uh, just like when we started this podcast. That's right. We'll adapt. But yeah, that is going to do it for our discussion of the Daredevil season one finale. But of course, we do have our question of the week. So Jude, I think this is the only natural question of the week. And it is, who do you think is the MVP of this season? So I'm going to have to go with Ellison. No. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) What's really funny is I briefly entertained the idea of like, how can I spin this into being Ellison? (laughs) No, uh, I'm going to go with Ben. Yeah, I, I'm, I've the two characters I found myself going back to and just really just being fascinated with um, all the way through um, down from the character themselves to the acting and portrayal. All of it was was Ben and Wesley. And I'm and I'm going to have to take yeah. I'm going to say Ben edges out Wesley for me. I agree with you. Uh, it, the two front runners, I think, as much as we harped on the fact that we were fanboys of these characters was Wesley and Ben. Yeah. And I think the reason Ben gets an edge over it is because his demise wasn't at the hands of his own mistake. And Wesley's clearly was like it was even though it was kind of built into the character that he had these slip ups. Mm-hmm. It's just it, it there is still that lingering feeling of like having Karen call out, why would you put a loaded gun on the table? That kind of diminishes just a tiny bit. Yeah. So that's what gives Ben the edge. And I, I find it interesting we kind of picked up on this idea that Ben and Wesley were these two very principled characters. Like they had, they were clearly established. They've had their ways. They had this code that they abided by. And it was interesting to kind of watch that be a reflection of Matt establishing his own code. Right. And so I think that's what makes them such strong characters um, throughout the season. Yeah. Well, man, like I could have watched an episode just on Ben. Yeah. You know, and because he he just it was done so well. He had such a good backstory, such good principles that that was driving it, um, playing on this old versus new in the media. So, yeah, it it was I'd, I'd have to say for me, it was Ben. Would you have any runner ups? Man, my runner outside up, of Wesley, outside of Wesley runner up. Um because I have one. Who who's yours? I honestly think it it would be Claire. Okay. I think of, through a lot of our examinations of this season, there was with every character there was at least one thing that we were like, okay, that doesn't make sense. But I think throughout everything, and it could be because of less screen time, mm-hmm. but throughout everything, Claire felt like a very consistent character. Yeah. And without Claire you know, Matt dies in that dumpster and we never have our season. Right. So yeah, Claire's a good choice. I, I'm kind of leaning towards Leland hmm. just, just because when you mentioned consistency, just his, his personality 
start to finish of like, just why are we doing this? You know, <laughs> kind of, kind of thing. You, you know, it, 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 it was really, you, you got that feeling this whole time. It was like, why are we meeting in a back alley? Why are we meeting on this rooftop? <laughs> you know, there, there's no need to be this secret of we can still do kind of mentality kind of thing. Um, and I, uh-huh. and I just love seeing that all the way through. Yeah, I, that you're right. I, even if we don't like him, he was consistent from start to finish. Yeah. Now, and that's not to say Foggy or Matt were not consistent. Those were just this on this watch. The the characters that really, you know, those those are the characters that really grab grab me. Yeah. That is going to do it, guys. Uh, we have completed the final episode of season one, which I just want to say thank you all for going on this journey with us. And if you do have any final thoughts or would like to chime in with your answer of who the MVP of this season was, you can always reach us at Know on Twitter or Instagram. Or if you'd like to email us, know at gmail.com. And while you're online doing that, and go ahead and leave us a rating um, and leave us a review. It really helps us out in terms of getting an audience, uh, helping people find the podcast to continue the conversation. And share with a friend. And of course, we'd like to give a special shout out to Nick Sandy for the use of our theme song, which is his rendition of the Avengers theme. If you like that, you can check out more of his work over at his SoundCloud, which is linked in the description. Now, we may be done with Daredevil, but that does not mean the podcast is over. We will definitely be back next week with more episodes. So definitely be sure to tune in. Yeah, tune in. We got more in the works. That doesn't mean we won't see Daredevil season two in the in the future. Until next week. Thank you so much for doing this, Jude. Thank you, Trey. Bye-bye, everybody. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That, wow, that felt so... off. Hold on, let me try that again. (laughs) All the inflection points were so weird. (laughs) Like, have you ever misplaced your fingers on the keyboard and then watched what came out? That's what that felt like. Yes. (laughs) Oh, man. All right, we got an in tag already. But yes, uh, Daredevil. We are on season one, episode 13, entitled Daredevil. So this is the season finale, and we open up with Ben's... Everything okay? That was clear, hoping to get into an in tag. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that like that's two weeks in a row that I gotten scared. I thought something was wrong. <laughs> no, that was my daughter trying to get into an in tag. Oh man. Okay, sorry. I guess Claire's a, a big Ben fan as well. <laughs> that's the <laughs> same reaction I had last episode. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> okay.